Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob and Your Live. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. In a moment, we'll be interviewing Laura Bagert, the journalist with the Georgia Star News, who broke what appears to be the biggest official admission of an election irregularity in the presidential election, a problem big enough that if it turns out to represent foul play, is more than sufficient to change Georgia's election results To remind our audience, listeners to America's most powerful Christian radio station, Denver's 50,000-watt AM670 KLTT, we've only aired three programs on apparent election fraud by the Democrats. First was just two weeks after the election. We interviewed a data security analyst about the security flaws in the Dominion voting system. Then on December 2nd, we interviewed a very successful Denver businessman, Joe Altman, who uncovered and exposed a Dominion vice president, Eric Coomer, as a member of Antifa. And then on January 6th, 2021, we aired Donald Trump's summary of the accusations of election irregularities state by state. And we also read from a Chicago Tribune report and this was really shocking to the audience, specifically documenting election fraud by the Democrats and saying it was so severe that it could actually turn a national election. But that paper, that article was published by the Tribune 100 years ago. I'm in my 60s. I've been on the air for 30 years. And we've been reporting about Democratic election fraud. I've grown up with it. So no surprise. At any rate, today is just our fourth broadcast on the topic, and it is an honor to have Laura Baker with us. Laura, welcome to Bob and Yurt Live. Well, thanks so much for having me and for covering this story since it's not been such a major, major focus. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to talk with you. So could you start from the beginning? Because I have not shared this report with our audience So we can get it right from you, and uh, we'll talk through it, along with any updates in the last week. Okay, well, most folks are probably aware that in the November election, there was a new effort to have these absentee ballot drop boxes installed primarily in Democrat locations within swing states. Mm. And most of the funding came from Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, and This was something that none of these election folks had really dealt with before. We've been focused primarily on Georgia, and we submitted open records requests back in early December to every county in Georgia asking them for their chain of custody documents that reflect the collections of the ballots from the drop boxes and their submission or surrendering to the county registrar. That was uh, 
the process that was laid out in sort of vague terms by the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and the State Elections Board in July of 2020 in an emergency rule that they promulgated at that time. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind that that rule circumvented the state legislature, who is the only body that has the authority to make any rules laws or whatever about elections yet now asking for chain of custody documentation an open records request that's wise because for example if fraudulent ballots were dumped into the system and let's say there's a question about the results and there's a recount and people are counting ballots and it turns out yeah the results you you count the ballots and you get about the same result as initially reported, but if thousands of ballots were fraudulently dumped into the system, then while a recount may not show that, looking for the chain of custody documentation, that is a way to expose that kind of fraud. Right. And and I want to make clear that that, and it's fine that we're discussing that, but in our reporting, we haven't made any accusations about what actually happened all we've been driving at is we want the forms and this rule while we don't necessarily agree that they had the right to do the rule rule we we are operating under the premise that that has the kind of the power of law if you will from the standpoint that the any of the jurisdictions that decided to use the absentee ballot drop boxes should have at least followed that rule right So we requested the transfer documents, as you explained, the chain of custody and why they're so important from all 159 counties. The state of the secretary of state has reported that only 123 of the counties actually used drop boxes, but we've only gotten any semblance of response from 59 of the counties. So Fulton County was one of them who supplied us the documents in January, but at the time, They supplied us with two PDF files, uh, scanned versions of the transfer forms only, not the ballots. We're not looking at ballots, just these chain of custody documents. Mm -hmm. So they supplied us with two PDF documents that had a file name that ended in a suffix of BX1 and BX3. So we looked at all those documents and we find out that based on polling information and all kinds of stuff that we and and the number of ballots that were supposedly absentee from Fulton County. And this this was Fulton County specifically now, the the Mm -hmm. one county we're looking at. Fulton County said that they should have had about 60 to 70,000 ballots cast by absentee and we only had documents for about 36,000 at the time plus we were seemed to be missing a file called BX2 right right named for like drop boxes so we told them that in April we told them you know we're short these documents well they come back on May 3rd now keep in mind their law says that they have three days to respond to open records requests but they come back uh, many weeks later and tell us that they have a thumb drive for us that we can pick up that has all of the documents. We just asked for the missing ones, but they provided us all of them, supposedly. We go through and do an extensive analysis and convert these transfer forms that document the Dropbox location, date, time, two-person collection team that picked up the the ballots, the registrar, and all, and the times that they pick them up, because that's important too. If the ballots just disappear for hours or days on end, 
again, that breaks the chain of custody and is not compliant with the emergency rule that says that the ballots need to be returned uh, immediately. Um, immediately, I looked up to un- try to understand better because that's may not be understood by right. the people who actually have to follow it, that that's without delay, without interruption, directly. Uh, and in some cases, like Cobb County, we found that it took three days for the ballots to get turned in. So that's another story. But So three days it, is not immediately. And no. obviously, if that were for a criminal case in court, then mm. that evidence would be thrown out because anything could be done to it in the meantime. Right. And they may have excuses that they or explanations that they feel are relevant, but, you know, immediately means immediately. It doesn't mean make up reasons why you think that it was okay. But in any event, with with Fulton County, we told them that uh, after this extensive analysis that it appeared and and along with the actual copies of the transfer forms that they provided us, they gave us a spreadsheet that they called the daily count of absentee ballots. And this spreadsheet showed across the uh, the top of the page going across their 37 Dropbox locations. And then down the left side showed the 41 days of the early voting plus election day period. And then in each of the cells, they plugged in the number of ballots that were picked up from each of those locations on those days. Hmm. Well, when we compared the transfer forms that we actually had to their spreadsheet, there were more than 200 errors or discrepancies when you compared the transfer form to the sheet. But more than that, what we were driving at with Fulton County was we see that based on your spreadsheet, we're still missing 385 transfer forms that count account for 18,901 ballots. And we want those documents. Okay, that was 18,901. And just mm-hmm. to remind us, the margin... The difference between Biden and Trump's election count in Georgia was 11,799. Okay, so this is 7,000 more votes without a chain of custody, apparently. Right, Uh, right. In just one county. Um, So, Hmm. you know, it it does raise the question of where, where are those? So we went back and explained this spreadsheet scenario that your your spreadsheet shows different than the transfer forms this is what we're missing because they disputed they asked how we identified the number of transfer forms that were missing we go back with this explanation and that's when they came back to us and told us that well it appears that a few forms are missing a few a few how many how many did you say were missing well 385 out of 1,565, which is 24%. So that's more than a few. More than a few. That's Newspeak. George Orwellian Newspeak. (laughs) A few forms were missing. Right. So, but they disputed that what we told them. So they, 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 when they said the few forms, they also said some procedural documents, which had the feel of diminishing the importance of these chain of custody documents that you just explained so well to your listeners what why they're so important Mm. so we reported on that on monday june 14th so a week ago today our story came out breaking that they admitted that they were missing documents and that during a COVID outbreak during in their warehouse that the these procedural documents seem to have been misplaced 
So we reported on that on Monday, June 14th. And this were is they, the, uh, the- Laura, were they implying that it's COVID's fault? There was a COVID problem and that's why we couldn't keep track of this? Kind of. But what was really interesting about it is news reports came out about the uh, the COVID outbreak at their warehouse where they keep documents and, and uh this is one of the things that they do is store the ballots there and prep the ballots for tabulation and counting. So when the news reports showed, though, that we see we were missing ballots for whole days. There were a bunch of random ones we were missing, but we were missing whole days, including October 7th, 9, 10, and 11, and October 20th. They were missing whole days. Well, the outbreak at the center, the elections preparation center happened around the 20th of October or something like that, the 25th, it was later. So in other Mm. words, those days should not, the dates that we were missing, the bulk of them shouldn't have been affected by the COVID outbreak, but that's a whole other, that's a a sidebar. Sort of sounds like the water main break. That was the reason why they stopped counting, which I think was a a leak in the men's room somewhere. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So on Wednesday, Georgia Public Broadcasting, you know, the uh, the local affiliate of the taxpayer-funded media outlet, uh, NPR, reported that they did a, a quote, fact-check type of, type of story that said that they were able to receive all of the documents from Fulton County. Hmm. So the interesting thing about this is that in that story... The writer tells how the elections official on Thursday reported that Fulton County people spent 200 man hours work looking for to locate the documents that we claimed were missing so they could refute the claims. Right. Well, that's pretty interesting because a couple of things about that. First of all, the report came out on Wednesday, and yet they said on Thursday they spent 200 hours to refute the claims. And then the 200 hours would have been expended between in a 48-hour period between Monday when our story broke and Wednesday when uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting put out their story. So if they worked around the clock, they would have had to have four people working 200 hours. Right. And if they only worked an eight-hour shift, they would have had had 12 people dedicated to this effort to look for these forms. Mm. So then it gets more interesting because the Georgia Public Broadcasting writer on Saturday put out a tweet saying that Georgia Star News said that they never got these forms, but if you were able to ask for them like I did, Hmm. you would be able to get them. And he showed a portion, the very top portion of a form for two, two collections that supposedly occurred on October 11th one of the days that we are missing. Well, when you look at the numbers of ballots that those two transfer forms show, they total 36 from two locations on October 11th, except the spreadsheet, Fulton County spreadsheet, shows that only 15 were collected in total from those two locations. So while this writer seems to be doing, um, trying to help Fulton County in their case that they're on, that you know everything's under control, he just created another discrepancy in the Fulton County records. So in that they are showing chain of custody for twice as many votes 
at that right. point in time as they actually counted in the election. Apparently, yes. Hmm. I will say that this this spreadsheet is a document that they are using to track, but we don't we don't know how it plays into the numbers and if they use that in any of their validation of what ballots got scanned and and counted to the public. We don't we don't really know how it's used. Mm-hmm. In the background of all of this is a a couple of reports. So Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, don't forget, not only certified the election, but on April 8th came out and said that he followed up with all of the counties about their chain of custody documents for the absentee ballots deposited into drop boxes and that all but three of the 123 counties had done the form. He confirmed that all of them had done the forms the way that they were supposed to. And the three counties that didn't were these very small counties. Grady was one. They only accounted for 0.37% of the absentee ballots. Mm -hmm. So, he basically exonerated Fulton County in that statement back in early April, which is pretty interesting because Brad Raffensperger hired a group called Seven Hill Strategies to come in and monitor what was going on in the in Fulton County from November 2nd, the night before the election, all the way through till counting was complete, which was around midnight on Friday of that week. So that observer basically did a diary type of document that said, you know, for example, I'm not looking at it right now, but something like at 10.59 p.m. I saw that the poll book bags that needed to go to these locations in Fulton County haven't been delivered to the the election locations, the polling locations. So, you know, this is the kind of blow by blow this observer gave. Mm -hmm. And throughout I would say of his 29-page report, if there was a whole page, even generously two, of something that went right, it would be a lot. Everything else talks about how things were going, you know, election materials not being delivered to polling precincts on time, a couple of bags of materials walked off with somebody, they didn't even know who they were, and they hadn't signed out the poll pads, which don't forget the poll pads contain all the confidential voter information in them. So this entire 29-page document, almost all of it talks about chaos, lack of chain of custody, um even ballots that they that were at one of the other Fulton County offices coming in through the back door, which mm-hmm. gave a very bad appearance to the public. I mean, it's just it almost sounds like they've never run an election before. Mm. And uh, just I think it was what just less than a month ago in Georgia, a judge agreed to unseal almost 150,000 absentee ballots from Fulton County for an investigation into alleged voter fraud. So so that is happening, I believe, in parallel to to this issue. Yes, and that's a great segue or point because today is a a day that that uh, case is having another hearing. Um, The, of course, everybody's filed motions to dismiss the case. But the judge did find enough evidence that he thought it should go forward. And interestingly, some of the people that some folks may have seen on 
the television reports at the State Farm facility where the ballots were coming out from under the tables after observers and media had been sent home. Yeah. Those folks apparently have hired criminal attorneys, reportedly. I wouldn't know their areas of expertise, but Mm -hmm. there are reports that their attorneys have criminal backgrounds. So that's an interesting development. Well, isn't it the most normal thing in the world, Laura, for election officials to dismiss everyone and Mm -hmm. then wait about an hour and then pull out suitcases of votes from under the tables (laughs) and start processing them? It's, well, that's that's just the yeah. If that's a normal occurrence, yeah. God help us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're speaking with Laura Bagert with the Georgia Star News. Laura, then, when the if, county officials gave this information to public radio, basically Georgia Public Broadcasting, but not you guys. Why did that happen? And do you now agree that well, yeah, it turns out that those transfer forms, they are there in the record? Well, that's a great question, Bob, and thank you for that. So we have not received those documents, even though Georgia Public Broadcasting has reported that not only did they get them all, but that they the same documents were sent to state investigators following that, uh, apparently in response to the Secretary of State's announcement that they would be investigating. Hmm. So we did not receive the documents and we actually sent a follow-up open records request or or to Fulton County officials asking them one, why, when you gave them to Georgia public broadcasting, were they able to get them in 48 hours and you did not send them to us? What's the explanation for the disparity in the treatment of the, we've we've had these open records requests since December. You would have thought that they would have supplied them to us. And three, can we get the documents? Now, one thing that we did was we actually had a whole story dedicated to just showing all of the documents to the public. So we put them out all out there for people to see so they can look at the documents themselves that were supplied by Fulton County the spreadsheet along with all of the transfer forms and our analysis as to how we, because you can't look through a pile of 1500 documents and and try to say that there were no duplicates in there, that you captured every date and every collection unless you do something with them. So we, I spent hours taking like 21,000 data points and plugging them into a spreadsheet so that we could look at them to compare against what Fulton County had put in their spreadsheet. I mean, this is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, and the spreadsheet you have in your article, you can see a screenshot of it. And right. what a wonderful job you did. Thank you for doing that, Laura. Thank you. I appreciate that. The interesting thing is neither Georgia – first, let's just focus on Georgia Public Broadcasting. They haven't published any of the documents that they had. And it, it sort of defies logic that they could have spent getting the documents to the point that their story was published to be able to go through it and make sure that there were no duplicates or that they weren't counting things like cover pages that are inserted into the file. I mean, this is a big deal. It's not easy to do that kind of analysis. That's number one. And number two, it also sort of defies logic that if the elections officials at Fulton County are getting the number of inquiries that they're getting on these forms, why wouldn't they just scan them and put them on their own website? Hmm. Why wouldn't you make all the documents public for everybody? Do you think that Georgia Public Radio would give you the documents if you asked them? 
I doubt it. I mean, they they basically wrote a hit piece against us (laughs) saying that if we knew how to request records that we would be able to get them. But that that's another defying logic premise from the standpoint that we got most of the records. We got holes in the middle of the records. It's not like we were missing the beginning or the end where you could say, well, you right. didn't make your cutoff dates clear. We're missing a bunch of random days in the middle. Well, like when that. you requested this data, you shouldn't have said, and please leave out some of the data. You shouldn't have put that <laughs> quest. That was your mistake. Yeah, excellent point. <laughs> we'll remember that next time. <laughs> yes, right, right. If something significant breaks, feel free to let us know. We've asked Fulton County to answer us today on that follow-up, and it shouldn't be a problem since they gave the documents all to Georgia Public Broadcasting. So we'll see how that plays out, and then we're running a parallel path with DeKalb County, and we'll see where that lands, too. Okay, that sounds great. And just to let you know, we are against the left wing, the progressive wing, social justice but we're also not Trump supporters, but we, mm-hmm. but we don't have Trump derangement syndrome. When he does <laughs> things good, we applauded him for those good things. So yeah. we feel that we're not heavily biased, mm-hmm. and it appears that there was tremendous fraud, even though personally I don't have a horse in the race. Right. Georgia Public Broadcasting has cast people who were reporting on these things as pro-Trump This doesn't have anything to do with Trump. And if you're distinguishing that outlets like ours or just the news, John Solomon, are pro-Trump, then are you anti-Trump? Is that the distinguishing point that you're trying to make? Because this doesn't have anything to do with Trump. When you can't just get the documents and there's disparate treatment between media outlets with the way the open records are fulfilled, that's, that's just wrong. Laura, it's so enjoyable to talk with you, and we'll see where the story leads. Thank you, Bob. We appreciate that very much. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. It's an honor to speak with Laura Bagert with the Georgia Star News. In fact, she also writes for the Tennessee Star. Our job here at Bob and Yurt Live gets a little bit easier when the government gets increasingly evil because one of our goals for the last 30 years is to teach a biblical worldview on governance and criminal justice These topics are so important to God. Our seminaries, Bible colleges, generally speaking, extrapolating from what pastors preach from the pulpit, they present very little about what God says about these topics, criminal justice and his principles of governance to their congregations, to the world. Our website, kgov kgov.com. It's not coincidental that it has the abbreviation in there for government, gov, kgov.com. We have, in fact, could somebody hand me the God's Principles of Government resource we have, the video? What do we have that on? DVD? Blu-ray also? And download? Yeah. Could I get that? Thank you very much. Thank you. Here it is. God's Principles of Government. Boy, this is one of the nicest looking resources we have also. Join Bob Enyart as he explores God's Principles of Government from Against Democracy to a Representative Republic to a Real Alternative to Democracy and what a Bible-based Constitution actually looks like. 
And you might recall that we offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. And also, we've let people know for the last 30 years on the air, if you can't afford one of our resources for what the price is, then whatever you can afford, because the goal is to get the biblical Christian worldview out to as many people as possible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also do that at Denver Bible Church, where I have the honor of being the pastor. What a wonderful Father's Day we had yesterday. For Mother's Day, we handed out petunias to all the moms. For Father's Day, we didn't. We handed out something more practical. It's really fun. So if you can visit Denver Bible Church, we're just off of I-70 in Kipling in Colorado. And then uh, God's principles of government, perhaps consider getting that. May the Lord bless you.